0: Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for joining me. Uh, Happy Wednesday uh, to you and yours. It is officially hump day. Uh, We're humping our way through the week. And on the other side of this is the weekend and good times and fun for everybody. Uh, So let's get to it. Uh, Let's we're going to have a great show. Obviously, it's Wednesday. That means Tennessee Harmony. Bobby and Anthony will be here. We'll talk about uh, the trouble, the controversy with the uh, Southern Baptist uh, uh, Convention committee. Uh, Rick Warren uh, is is you guys know the Purpose Driven Life, uh, very popular mega church guy in Southern California. Uh, he's named his successor. There's a bit of controversy about his successor and about them ordaining three uh, female pastors. And his successor, I think, his, uh, the successor is from Northern California, from San Jose, and his wife's a pastor. And there's just this whole controversy about what is a pastor, who can be a pastor. Uh, the Bible, I think, makes it kind of clear that, you know, Men are supposed to be the leaders of the church, but we'll let Bobby and Anthony uh, debate that and define that discussion for us. And Shamika Michelle uh, will join us uh, for that conversation. Shamika, a former ordained minister and, you know, knows the Bible uh, pretty well. And so we'll get a woman's take on that as well. Uh, But before we do any of that, I want to talk about. And, and start a little fire, and then I'm going to bring in, you guys know Prime Time Stein, Alex Stein, the comedian, uh, kind of, I, I say this affectionately, internet troll uh, uh, that has been building a great following. He's been on the show before. He's out in Los Angeles today, and uh, yesterday he was in Compton and, and talked, or is performed in front of the Compton City Council and some other uh, city councils out there in that California L.A. area. But I'm bringing Alex on to talk about what he's doing, but also to talk about where I want to start today's show, about the importance of comedy. And, and, and this show is predicated on uh, the conceit of the show is that comedians and ministers, religious leaders, pastors, and we'll get to the definition of if I'm calling it by the right names, but leaders of church, elders of church, if if the clergy and comedians have failed us, and uh, I think we're starting to see uh, the whole comedy and the left's stranglehold on comedy, we're starting to see it collapse. The, the collapse of comedy and that whole left-wing uh, comedy deal and we're seeing it uh, the latest sign of this I think is with the Saturday Night Live host uh, weekend host update Michael Shea Michael Shea uh, took the to Instagram uh, <laughs> yesterday I believe and, and the Daily Caller wrote about it because he, he posted some things on Instagram and then took them down uh, but it's very interesting what he uh, put out there originally, and I don't know if it's a gimmick, if it's a publicity stunt. But here's one of the here's the thing that caught everyone's attention: uh, what he posted on Instagram. And I know I'm going to lose a lot of customers for this one. January six hearings, poof! More like January sick, s i c k, of hearing about this crap. So he knows this is going to be controversial. He knows he's supposed to stick to a script. He knows that uh, this is going to bother the left and perhaps jeopardize his standing if he goes off the script and says, look, the January 6th thing is a joke, this hearing. And and then after he deleted that, he went on to further uh, post some other things uh, trying to clarify. One is smart fans know exactly what side I'm on and how I feel about all this. I mean, enough is enough. We're being failed. I'm watching these hearings and I'm seeing the same thing you're seeing. And I'm just like, is anybody seeing this? Then he posted, sorry, I know I can lose a lot of my endorsements for saying this, but America, you know what to do already. It's unclear. And then, I'm sorry, this to David. Uh, the Daily Caller saying it's unclear whether Shea's smart fans will ever understand how he <laughs> they, they mock him for his punctuation He later goes on to say people are saying I'm still being too vague about what side I'm on So let me let me say it plainly in all capital letters. We Period need period to wake up or we are going to lose this country Michael Shea is trying to come out of the closet as MAGA. He he's saying the same things. Now, is he being authentic about it? Or is he following the lead and looking at the success of people like Bill Maher, who has turned his real-time on HBO show into must see TV every Friday, because he has been consistently pounding the left. He's been consistently cracking jokes and building an audience and a following of everybody by being more fair with his comedy. I I, I say this. This is important. Comedy is important. Comedy is a gatekeeper of truth. And that's why I connect comedians and clergy. They're supposed to be gatekeepers of truth. They're supposed to take to the public square and say things that are truthful and uncomfortable for others to hear so that we all can enjoy freedom of speech and we can all talk about the real issues affecting America. Great comedians are really smart. That's what George Carlin, these guys are geniuses. And they're geniuses at spotting the irony in life. And they're geniuses at calling out the establishment and and taking on people with too much power. That's where Dave Chappelle has been operating in this space as it relates to the LGBTQ uh, transphobe issue. Bill Maher has been uh, coming out of the closet, feels like he's been red peeled. And now we have a guy on Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live is like the choir uh, for the Democratic Party, for leftists, for atheists, for all the people that are trying to tear down America, they they only crack Trump jokes. They've left Biden completely alone for the most part. And I start what we're seeing from Michael Shea and from other committee it's just, it's too irresistible to not go at the other side. They've made such clowns of themselves. And to me, this has all been very predictable because You take Donald Trump away, you remove him out of office. And that's why they should have never done what they did at the election, because the left has nothing without Trump. Without Trump in the White House and them constantly bashing Trump and blaming everything on Trump, now the left has to actually defend the things that it's doing, and it doesn't stand up. And comedians are finding it irresistible. Michael Shea is dipping his toe into the water that Bill Maher and others have warmed up. <laughs> and just, Michael Shea, his, I think his real name is Michael Shea Campbell, but his dad named him Michael Shea, gave him that middle name <laughs> as homage to Shea Guevara, the Marxist revolutionary, the Cuban Marxist revolutionary. Again, that that's never been who Michael Shea says he is, but that's what inspired his name and his father. So he comes from people that celebrated Marxist revolutionaries, but things have gotten so bad here in this country and so obviously bad, and things have become so farcical on the left that he can't resist the temptation of going after the January 6th committee, the January 6th hearing, and what a farce it is, and how we're demonizing people, wasting all this money, holding th- this TV charade up, because the left has nothing other than Donald Trump. That's what the January 6th thing is. all. Don't talk about inflation. Don't talk about rising crime. Don't talk about a baby formula shortage. Don't talk about the stock market crash. It's January 6th. The, the, the people that stormed the Capitol, that's the worst thing. And we must get to the bottom of that. All that uh, 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 the riots of George Floyd and all that terrorism that happened then, that's nothing compared to January 6th. And so Michael Shea is actually coming in right where Jack Del Rio left off the Washington commander Everybody can see the stupidity, the hypocrisy of what the establishment is doing, what corporate media is doing. And Michael Shea is bucking back. And so I, I say hats off to him. But I wanted to talk to Alex Stein today because as much credit as I'm giving Bill Maher and, and Dave Chappelle and even Jon Stewart, to a certain degree, he's broke from the script to a certain degree but it's guys like Alex Stein and you guys should be following his social media accounts uh, and you guys should be following his work but it's guys like Alex Stein to me that are having the real impact people can see Alex Stein and the fun he's having mocking the left and confronting the left that's where the real traction is he's building a following and other uh, social media influencers here that are showing the courage are building a following that will be here to the end of time because people aren't going to forget who the actual brave people were that were out here well before everybody else so uh alex i want to bring alex into the discussion alex thank you so much uh for joining me from los angeles we're going to get into uh, why you're in L.A. here in a moment and some of <laughs> the things you've done in L.A. this week already. But but I, I just want to start with, as someone that's out there on the actual front lines and, and mining the lunacy of the left for comedy, and, and you know, I don't know if it's in, what would we would call it, improvisational, confrontational, or whatever, but mm-hmm. when when you see a Michael Shea or Bill Maher and people like this come to... Uh, a more rational thought and our side of thinking does it make you happy or or does it make you say oh man these guys should have been honest from the get-go
1: Well, uh, thank you for having me, Jason. But no, it's a threat. The only reason I've been successful is because there's such a void in content because everybody has to be so politically correct. I think you said it best. Jack Del Rio just mentioned that January 6th was not even as bad or was bad, but not as bad as all of the riots of the George, the summer of George Floyd, the summer of love. And he got fined $100,000. Now, the NFL is one of the biggest corporations in the world, in America, one of the most popular. So that shows you that these people have to toe the line. If they say anything that can be even considered controversial, you're going to get fined $100,000. So that should show you that by saying something that is even a little bit controversial, that's what we're craving. That's why that one quote from Jack Real, Rio, people loved it. It went viral because that's what the people want because they're sick of the hypocrisy. They're sick of the gas prices. They're sick of the stock market crashing. They're sick of not being able to afford to fill up their gas tank. So people are craving this content. So now I'm threatened because Bill Maher is the hottest comic in the world and all all he is saying is what the people that are rational have been saying for the last two years of the Joe Biden administration. And so I want to show a clip, or I think we're going to show the whole three
0: minutes of UN action <laughs> yesterday in Compton. And, 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 I, I, obviously, you're a comedic genius, and I don't have to explain your comedy to you. But I, I do want to explain it to I, I want to explain it to the audience, though, why I find this so hilarious. And I know you visited at least one other city council uh, since you've been out there. But the thing in Compton is so powerful mm-hmm. to me because, and and I think you know that you're doing this, by going to Compton and rapping in front of their city council. council. Mm-hmm. And when you think about South Central LA and all the mm-hmm. rappers that claim Compton, the, just the irony and the comedy of that, and, and the fact that we have allowed uh, these rap stars with the very profane, very immoral, very misogynistic, very racist lyrics to define Compton. And here comes some white guy rapping in (laughs) front of the city. I'm telling, man, I laughed out loud a million times watching this. I want to we're going to play, I think, all three minutes and 16 seconds, whether it includes your setup and the whole rap. But I want people to get a taste of what you've been doing and and just why it's so great. So let's play the clip.
2: Uh, Alex
1: Stein. Hello, uh, Mayor Sharif. I'm Alex Stein. Hello, Council. I'm here by way of Dallas, Texas. And the reason why I'm in Los Angeles, it's actually quite embarrassing. So I was recently the victim of a scam, um, casting call scam by what I thought was a television producer, and I flew all the way out here to find that producer. They didn't, they did not exist. So I wasted my time, my money. Uh, It was a reality show about the transition of my son into my daughter potentially, and I'll be honest, like I was very vulnerable. I sent the person pictures of myself. I sent the person money. I came all the way out here to find that person, and I realized it was an entire, it was a total scam. But um, I'm an actor. I'm a rapper. I'm an entrepreneur, and I figured, you know, since I spent the money, I spent the time to come out here. I wanted to come to like the most legendary city, Compton, California, the home of NWA, EZE, Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, MC Wren, and and since I'm a rapper, I kind of wanted to freestyle rap a little bit and give y'all some of my flavor in case some of y'all, some of y'all can, some of y'all might, all right, let me see if I can get the music going. <laughs> Mrs. Stein, yeah? you really only have three, you only have three minutes. Prime time, number 99, always on the grind, always gonna shine. Compton, California, let me hear. Say I was born a boy. I'm a transition, my daughter. I don't care if you're drinking vodka and water. I'm a pimp on a blimp, eating shrimp red rice, all that shrimp. What can you say? Vaccinate my body, vaccinate my DNA. Got the sanitizer. You know that I'm rocking with that Pfizer. Triple boosted in my coaster. I don't really care, I want the fourth booster. Dr. Dre, what can you say? Mayor Sharif, don't call the police. I'm a pimp, on a blimp, eating shrimp, Alita Godwin. You all calling me, you know I'm looking good. All up in the Compton hood, and I take on my shirt, you know I'm a flirt. I like to get freaky, I like to get deaky, and I wear a big old dashiki. I'm prime time on the ground. All the time, I grind and blow your mind. Dr. Dre, what can I say? Please give me a deal. How do you feel? I sent pictures of my feet to a freak on the internet. He got wet. What can I say? I'm so embarrassed. I don't know what to do. I'm going to take off off my shoe put it in the air like i don't care i'm primetime 99 always on the ground always gotta shine one more time let me blow your mind may it's your reef no i don't queef i cause a disturbance like a plane high on cocaine in the ukraine and i go insane i'm prime. T- double ninety nine, in up blow Yo, ma, use my shoe phone. No, I'm not a clone. When I rap, I'm always in the zone. So if you guys can give this to Dr. Dre or uh somebody, it's PrimeTimeSteins. My Instagram. Uh, if you guys want to share it, thank you, Mary Street. Please send this. Please send this to N.W.A. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty crazy. Res-
1: it sounds like they people there kind of loved it. Oh, are you kidding, Jason? They loved it. I got a new buddy of mine, Ronnie Colquitt. He was actually an LAPD officer in 1990. He uh, shot a man and killed a man in self-defense. The, multiple people came up to me after that meeting, uh, Jason, and they loved me. And the reason why is because listen, the media wants to tell you that there's this, you know, race war, that just racism, that white supremacy is the biggest problem in the world. But people saw me go into there, and, and the person that spoke after they said, "Oh, wow, he was brave to come into the line." Said there's no Lions, and everybody in there cared about their city, and they knew that this was an uptight meeting where, where Compton is having a lot of issues. And they actually like the levity that I bring to the meeting. They respect it because they know that I'm kidding. And they know that this ultra serious meeting where people feel uncomfortable, they go up to the podium, their, their voice is trembling, they're nervous of what they're going to say. So as soon as I go up there and I act and I do the cringe thing, it makes the room just feel a lot easier. All the anxiety is taken out of the room. So they love it because people love humor. Even if I'm the butt of my joke, I'm self-deprecating. I like Andy Kaufman. I consider myself Kaufman-esque. I know I'm going to sound like an idiot. I know I can't rap. But when I go there and I do that, I'm actually just trying to jam the most absurd parts of our culture in their face to prove a point that, listen, I love them, they love me, and that's how we should act. We all need to relax and be less tense around one another, Jason.
0: Yeah, you got everything in there from Ukraine to (laughs) booster shots and COVID. Uh, <laughs> NWA <laughs> uh, I think you left out DJ Yella. Yella may be yeah, upset I'll, with you I don't yeah, think you, yeah, you named yeah, Chet it, Yella
1: <laughs> No I didn't I forgot and see you know my favorite movie as a kid was Don't Drink Your Juice in the Hood or Don't Be a Menace in South Central or Drink Your Juice in the Hood with the Wayans. That movie was the best and that's the problem with comedy today is we don't have that self-deprecating manner. Everybody has to take themselves so seriously. You look at Tyler Perry. He's a talented guy but he's, he takes himself too seriously. All these people that are you know like the the, um, the icons of comedy we've lost that ability to be funny because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings when the 90s we weren't afraid of doing that we weren't afraid of hurting somebody's feelings for the joke as long as it's not really meant uh, in hate we should be able to make fun of each other we should be able to tease each other that's what's fun and we've lost the fun in funny
0: what why are you in los angeles what took you out to la for well, on a for real
1: uh, for real, I, I was doing some work for the Babylon Bee. I was doing their podcast, and then, you know, I was uh, doing some stuff with them. I was only here for a day. I was only here for one full day. I leave. I'm about to hop on the plane right now. So I was able to do that, and I hit three city council meetings because I'm insane. I, I went to Culver City. I went to uh, Compton. And I also went to Long Beach. And this is the thing, in Culver City— uh, they didn't know who I was. But in Long Beach, California, Jason, they knew exactly who I was. They go, oh, this is Alex Stein. And they they purposely didn't turn on the front camera. They did the reverse camera. That's how they get me in a lot of these cities in Dallas. And the reason is, is because I'm known in Malibu, California. I call into the meetings in Malibu all the time. And I call into the meetings in Marin County. So I think that they have some sort of email system. Hey, this guy comes to our meetings. Because in Long Beach, they knew exactly who I was. Before I even got to the podium, the council members had their phone. Filming. But this is what I'm trying to do, Jason, with my comedy is it's literally I'm not even trying to make people agree with my point. I'm trying to make them ask a question Is this real or is this fake? Is this how absurd the world has gone? Because when we talk about January sixth, all they do is say, Oh, January sixth was the worst day ever. And in your monologue you mentioned the stock market crashes. You mentioned the gas prices. You mentioned the fact that people can't literally afford to fill up their tank. It's seven dollars and, and nineteen cents a gallon where I just had to fill up my rental car. So there's maybe. Major problems. We're heading for a, a major economical crash and they're spending our government fund paying a Hollywood producer to create a trauma based mind control in order to try to either defeat Trump or defeat Santos. And it's not going to work. It's going to have the reverse effect and the pendulum is going to swing and it's going to go way more conservative, I think, in the midterms. is my opinion. All
0: right. So I want to go back a week or two mm-hmm. uh, to some content you put out, because what you just did there is fun, hilarious, Uh, it's gonna make you an even bigger star. You you got (laughs) big balls, man. And and now I'm gonna really show you because what you just did there is fun. But Hmm. last week or two weeks ago, you went to some of these drag strip shows that they're hosting for kids in the Dallas area and confronted people. And this is just a little short 20 second clip of of you outside one of these drag shows getting assaulted. I, I want to play this clip. Hey, 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 hey. Take the
1: <laughs> Face off.
3: Face off
0: love this clip, and I saw a bunch of the stuff you did from out there. Uh, you're brave and, and, and necessary, and I hope people are, are, are recognizing that. So why did you, and, and there is, I mean, the reaction to you showing up and just wanting to capture, here's what adults are doing with kids, and they're so embarrassed by it that they violently try to keep you out of this deal, and so it—it's it, so absurd and so insane that there's actually a bit of humor in it, but it's also just kind of sad and tragic. Why? And, and, and I'm just really impressed with your fearlessness uh, there, because again, I, those people are potentially dangerous.
1: No, 100 percent, Jason. I don't need a pat on my back. What, what happened is there's drag brunches all over the country. That's fine. But what this was, this is called drag your kids to pride. And this was a child influence, a child uh, focused. Drag Brunch, where they were going to do this at a lot of times they do the drag queen story time at a library. That's a public place. That's, I guess, not normal whatsoever, but it's out in the open. Well, this was done at a gay dive bar that probably had the capacity of about 75 people with a huge sign. We didn't show it in the clip. It says it's not going to lick itself with all of these homosexual innuendos and the problem with this at this thing is this was like i said it was geared towards children so i went to the event really trying to shut it down trying to go in trying to you know bring light to the event and what they did was they immediately knew who I was. They stopped me from going in. And when I tell you, in the conservative side of things, we say everything is satanic and demonic. We probably overuse that word. This was actually satanic and demonic because these were these drag queens were dressed up, simulating a strip club, being t- being tipped like a stripper with these uh, with these little children. These parents were giving their little children, and we had other journalists inside of the building. There was kids trying to play with their handheld Nintendo. The parents would grab it and say no. Look at the drag queen. And so this was the actual uh, reincarnation of what I imagine what Satan would create on earth. Because these people, it's like a drug dealer. Your first time's always free. You watch the show The Wire. You know, you always get the first taste is free. That's what this felt like. Come in here, little kid. Come to a bar. See what it's like. Oh, it might be fun. Because and, and the real person that we need to get mad at are the parents, Jason. I didn't see one nuclear family there. I didn't see one dad and mom. Were the khaki shorts and your typical stereotypical mom all i saw were blue haired type people maybe an aunt maybe an uncle it was just a very weird scene the weirdest scene that i've ever seen in my entire life and i i graduated from lsu i've been to new orleans i've seen all kinds of drag stuff but i've never seen it focused on kids in the indoctrination of our youth it was disgusting and i'm not over exaggerating when i say that jason and so
0: are you concerned or growing concerned about your own safety? Because, you know, the more you do this, the more attention you get, the more of a target you're going to become.
1: Well, yes. So I, I sent the pictures that. Tucker Carlson played the clip, and then Tucker Carlson's flying me out to go on his show next week. He really uh, resonated with it. But at 5 a.m. That, that Monday after his show, so it was Tuesday morning, you know, really late uh, that was like 450. I got on my security cam. Somebody came to my house shining a flashlight, a real high, powerful flashlight into my house just on my side of the street and into my neighbor's house because they were trying to figure out which one was mine. Because our, you know, our numbers, you can't you can't really see them. They're kind of far back. And so, yeah, there's going to be people that are going to intimidate me. There's people in these Antifa at that event. There's people carrying in Texas. We have an open carry law. You can just have a gun. But I'm not going to live in fear of these guys. They're all cowards. They're all trying to take advantage of children. And if I die, I know I'm going to have an expiration date one day. I mean, that's a sad realization. And I don't want to die over the culture war. But at the same time, I'm not going to live my life in fear because that's what the mainstream media wants you to do that's with the COVID narrative that's with every single narrative The january 6th it's all meant about living in fear and that's why you're special because you have the fearless identity the fearless brand that's how all united states citizens need to start being as fearless because living in that constant fear is how they control you when you're afraid you just listen to the leader and you just follow the leader and people need to be more fearless and blaze their own trail and if they don't do that They're just they're going to lead them into the gulag. And and I'm not saying that metaphorically. I'm saying that literally.
0: Alex, are you meeting other entrepreneurial content creators uh, like you that are fearless and are out uh, doing similar things as you?
1: Yes, I am. And and there's a lot of people there at that uh, Drag Queen Storytime, Strip Club, whatever event you want to call it, Drag Your Kids to Prom. You know, there's there's there are other content creators that are stepping into this, you know, non-politically correct sphere, because that's what, like I said, that's what people want. You were talking about Michael Che. I mean, all he did was a simple thing saying, oh, I'm basically January 6th, you know, more like January 6th of this. I mean, it's very innocuous what he said. But because people are sick of this, people are sick of Joe Biden. They know that he is not in control of things. Kamala Harris will not even visit the border. I mean, we have a, a, a basically a puppet presidency, and people are sick of it. I mean, everybody knows this now, Jason. It only took less than two years to realize it, and I don't know how we're going to handle it for two more years. So I think the Bill Mars, the Michael Chase. All the people, the John Stewart, who even said that his show, The Daily Show, wouldn't be able to be filmed today because it would be considered misinformation if they were trying to film that same show today because they spoke out against the Iraq war. So all of these people that are giving us you know, little Easter eggs of truth and how they really feel, I think it's going to be a tidal wave of truth within the next two years. But sadly, I think things are going to have to crash and burn before people come to the realization that they need to stop you know, toting the mainstream line and saying how they really feel.
0: Prime time, always on the grind, always wants to shine, uh, doesn't take it from behind. Uh, <laughs> you a lyric for it. Hey, Let me take care of a little business and then we're going to do an approval rating on Michael Shea uh, with Father's Day coming up and all the summer events and holidays on the horizon, this is the perfect time to try a box of Good Ranchers. If you're looking to surprise your father, grandfather, father-in-law, husband, this is a no-brainer. Good Ranchers is the place to get American beef, chicken, and seafood this summer. They sell 100% meat and ship it right to your door and right now they're giving away two free 18 ounce prime center cut ribeyes to every person that uses my code fearless. That's over two pounds of prime ribeye steaks just added to your order at no cost with Father's Day almost here and summer stretching out before us. What's not to love? This is not the time to wait. Claim your ribeyes today before they run out. This is a limited stock item, first come, first serve, and you want to be first when it comes to Good Ranchers. They deliver the best of American farms and ranches to your door. Make sure you take time today, right now, and go to goodranchers.com slash fearless, or use my code FEARLESS at checkout to get your two free 18 ounce ribeyes. Start the summer off right with Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Use my promo code FEARLESS. Be a good, fearless soldier. Feed your soldiers at your house, good ranchers. American meat delivered. All right, let's go back to Alex Stein and our approval rating. All right, Alex, uh, I I explained to you this morning the whole approval rating deal, uh, four different categories, job performance, character, authenticity, it factor, rated on a score scale of zero to 25. You're a math major, by the way. When we did this this morning, <laughs> you kept your score total in your head, uh, you know, and you got the whole thing. As soon as I said four characters, He goes, yeah, it adds up to 100 and blah, blah. Anyway, so Alex is going to do great here, I think. Uh, let's start with job performance. I go first. I don't watch Saturday Night Live anymore. It's, it's, once or twice a year that maybe you know when Dave Chappelle guest host I'll make it a point to watch uh, I do catch some of their viral clips or whatever and seen Michael Shea on the weekend update and some of it's decent but you know I'm old and I remember when Saturday Night Live was great and was must-see TV and you built your whole Saturday night around watching it you know that ain't it so I gave him a seven in job performance
1: well, I have to tell you this. You were so right. Every and this wasn't even five, six years ago. Every Monday there was a viral video on YouTube from some great sketch. Now that doesn't even happen. But this is what I have to say. There is one bit you got to watch where he does it with Colin Jost, I think, the other guy's name. Where they say jokes for each other. You got to look at this bit, and it's funny because it's the juxtaposition of it. That's the only time they're actually funny. So for this, I mean, reading off a, a teleprompter, I'm going to give him a 15. I think he's actually a talented guy, and, and I'm an easy grader. But uh, uh, I think he is talented. I I don't want to take away from him. But he is reading a note card written by a professional joke writer. Not that hard. He ain't
0: freestyling in front of the Compton (laughs) City Council, that's for sure. All right. uh, Let's go character. Again, you know, I look at if I compare him to someone like yourself, who's really high character and putting his life on the line and career on the line to stand up for what he believes in. I can't be too high on Michael Shea's character. He, he, you know, took down his Instagram post almost immediately. That, you know, leave it up and stand on that, on those words. So I give him an eight in character.
1: Okay, well, you know, I'm an easy grader because I, I define character as what you do and nobody's looking. And so he put that post out there and even though he deleted it, he still put it out there. A lot of those people would, would not ever even post anything considered, like, you know, even considered conservative so I'm going to give him a 15 you know I'm an easy teacher Mm. all right you're I need Mm. I needed to be in your class I'd have been a A hundred (laughs) percent
0: authenticity uh again he pulled the post down uh he's clearly uh not on board with all the leftist crap they do but you know he's not willing to say it so I I gave him a nine in authenticity
1: Well, see, this is where I killed him. I gave him the five because he deleted it, because he couldn't be authentic. Like, I think his character, when nobody's looking, you know, he probably knows that January 6th is bullcrap. But when, you know, when he has to stand by it, he's not authentic at all. He took it right down. So he he loses in the authenticity section of the grading. Mm.
0: All right. Uh, It factor. Uh, You know, is he Tom Cruise? Is he Will Smith before the slap? I say no. Uh, is he Eddie Murphy when he was on Saturday Night? Live? I say no. And even, who's the little, the fat dude Keenan that's on? Yeah, Keenan's great. Dude, yeah, chubby, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, not You know, he's got less it factor than Keenan in my opinion. So I gave him a ten in it factor.
1: OK, well, I gave him and this is why you're gonna say, why did you give him a high score in that? Well, I gave him a 20 because in the comedian uh, world, you know, Michael Che was doing comedy for less than a year when he got signed to SNL when Lauren Michaels discovered him. So he does have something about him. And then if you like, like I said, when he does this bit with, with Colin where they say each other's jokes, he's got something about him that's that separates him. But, you know, that doesn't mean he's Eddie Murphy. No, not even close.
0: All right. So you gave him a 20. Uh, You've got him at a 55 candle lit. I've got him at a 34 complete uh, dumpster fire. Uh, (laughs) And so, Alex, uh, thank you uh, so much. Can't wait to have you back. Uh, Loved it. Awesome job.
4: Thank Uh, you, Jason. Alex,
0: go. Uh, We're going to let Alex go and uh, we're going to roll into Tennessee Harmony after I take care of a little business. Uh, Do you really control your retirement money? If you've got a 401k or IRA or similar retirement plan, the government actually controls it. They decide how much you can borrow and when you must pay it back. You will also owe taxes and penalties for taking money out too soon, even though it's your money. Thanks to our skyrocketing national debt, who knows how much you'll have to pay in taxes during a retirement that could last 30 years. Thankfully, bank on yourself is a better way to grow and protect your hard-earned money. This retirement plan alternative has never had a losing year in over 160 years. No volatility. Your plan doesn't go backwards when the stock markets tumble. Both your principal and growth are locked in. You have control over your money without government penalties or restrictions on how much income you can take or when you can take it. Lastly, you get peace of mind. Perhaps the best reason of all, you'll know the minimum guaranteed value of your plan on the day you plan to tap into it and at every point along the way. You can get a free report with all the details of how adding Bank On Yourself to your financial plan can help you take back control of your money. Just go to bankonyourself.com slash fearless. That's bankonyourself.com slash fearless. Hey, are you in the stock market? I am. The volatility is Incredible. That's why Bank on Yourself is a great product. Take control, remove some of the volatility, be in control of your money. That's what being a fearless soldier is all about self control, self sufficiency, self discipline, self sufficiency. Bank on Yourself. All right, Tennessee Harmony. All right. Welcome back. Uh, Time for a little uh, Tennessee Harmony. Uh, Anthony and Bobby are here with me, and we have a very special guest. Uh, Shamika Michelle is uh, going to join us uh, from North Carolina. Uh, Shamika, welcome to the show. Uh, Can't wait to uh, hear you on this topic. But before I even get into the topic, I want uh, Bobby and Anthony uh, to bless our discussion, and then we'll get into it.
4: God, we call out to you. And we call out to you in Jesus' name to bless everybody who watches the show as well as those of us who are on the show.
3: Father God, as always, we're thankful for this opportunity. We pray that all that we say and do is pleasing and acceptable in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
4: Amen. Amen.
0: All right. So uh, let me give a little context here. Uh, Rick Warren, uh, the author of A Purpose Driven Life, one of the most popular mega ministers in the country uh he's got a mega church in southern california i think called saddleback church uh the southern baptist convention which is kind of the governing body that he's affiliated with uh they're taking on and deliberating i guess to some degree a controversy as i think rick's church has ordained three female pastors, ministers, something. We'll we'll get to that in a second. And then Rick has named a successor, uh, some guy out of uh, Northern California. I think his last name is Wood, who Wood and his wife, his wife carries a pastor's title and is gonna be working with uh, Saddleback Church. And so the Southern Baptist Convention, I guess, is considering uh, booting uh, Rick Warren or the Saddleback Church from affiliation with the SBC uh, And so that obviously just leads to an obvious discussion that we'll cover today uh, With Anthony and Bobby and Shamika because at one point I believe and Shamika helped me out here. I'm right Did, You were an ordained minister. Am I accurate? Yes All right.
2: Yes, so I'm sorry
0: no, no, you go ahead.
2: I was going to say initially licensed as an evangelist, but then when I moved to a different church, they licensed me as a minister and then ordained me as an associate minister, which was more about the hierarchy in the church. All
0: right. And so, guys, I want to start with you guys. And and, and I'm just, I need just simple parameters, definitions so that I can fully Understand the conversation minister pastor elder Can first what are they and can women hold those titles and positions?
4: According to the Bible, so let's let's go with the definitions. All right, let's start with a minister I believe you also have this for the screen. Yeah, Uh, so a minister is literally uh, somebody who serves God—it's used of Jesus, it's used of the apostles, and it's used of everyday Christians. It comes from a Greek word, diakonia or diakonos, and it's just simply uh, they're a servant. So uh, to say that somebody's a minister or that uh, somebody has a ministry could and should be said of all Christians. Mm, that that I'm, I needed that information. Yeah. Like if we're uh, here, here's the key thing with all this. Uh, you've asked us to give you biblical definitions, yes. so we're coming out of scripture, not common understanding or usage. Gotcha. Yeah, okay?
0: we, we need to start with the framework of the Bible, mm-hmm. and we'll, let's let us def- let the Bible define the conversation, okay. not the culture. So, so that's minister.
4: <laughs> now uh, I want to get to the uh, elder before pastor, gotcha, because most people uh, can get confused about this. Because they don't realize that in the Bible, three words are used interchangeably or synonymous for the same group of leaders. And that's elder, pastor, overseer. So typically in churches, there is a body of men when they try to follow scripture. There's a body of men that are the leaders of the church. It's kind of like in the home. You have a, a, a father in the home who's the leader. And so the elders are like the daddies of the church in biblical framing. So the word elder is, uh, comes from the Greek word presbyteros. It means an older man. They're appointed as a group. There's, uh, the Bible tells us the qualities to look for when you're going to appoint one. Uh, For example, uh, Titus chapter one, verse five, uh, the apostle Paul says this to Timothy, and I believe this is on the screen. The reason I left you in Crete, Paul's writing to Timothy, so it's the apostle Paul, to Timothy, a local evangelist. And he says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. So in Crete there were a bunch of towns with Christians. He says, Appoint elders as I directed you. And he, he gives some qualifications, but I wanted you to see this one, Jason, because it makes it really clear. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, obviously a male, Blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Gotcha. Now, let's go to the word pastor. Uh, in the Bible, the word pastor, uh, episkopos, is, is the concept of, uh, I'm sorry, poimen, it's the word poimen. Episkopos is for overseer. Uh, poimen is an elder who's a shepherd. And the idea is that as a shepherd cares for the sheep, a pastor cares for the flock. So if you'll notice in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to see this same group referred to with three different words. So he says, uh, this is the Apostle Peter writing, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. So he's writing to the elders and he says this, be shepherds, which is pastors of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So to summarize, every Christian is a minister, and every Christian should have a ministry. There is a group of leaders in the Bible... They are typically referred to as elders. The qualities and qualifications are male only. And the word elder is used synonymously of pastor, who functions like a shepherd with the sheep. So the three words, elder, pastor, and overseer, are synonymous words used to describe the same group from different angles.
0: And So based off your understanding of that, can women be elders or
4: pastors no no not if you're following the bible
0: samika uh what what's what's your take on that
2: i agree that women cannot be pastors simply if you say it's synonymous with elders and i'm not sure why that would be um a question or why it would be you know something that people act as if they can't define i personally am one of the people that don't necessarily believe that the the word should be used synonymously i do believe that there is the different translations in different places of the scripture but i don't have a problem with people using them synonymously but if we do then i think then there's no question that women cannot be pastors for me i think it's a difference when you talk about ephesians four and the gifts given to the church as apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers and the actual office of someone sitting in that particular uh, office of pastor, or if we use it synonymously with elder, then no, you can't have a woman in that position. So I think that if we're going to use it synonymously, then it should definitely not include women. But also I think that it would definitely cancel out a lot of men because if we're going to use the qualifications of a pastor as the qualifications of bishops, I think there are a lot of that sit in that position that also would not meet those qualifications.
4: Yes. (laughs) Why
0: why do we have so many unqualified people in those positions?
4: Uh, I'm gonna let Anthony uh, come after me on this, but you just have to make a fundamental decision. Are you gonna follow scripture or not? If you make the fundamental decision you're gonna follow scripture, scripture in two places, and there's others, but two primary places, tell you the qualifications or the qualities in the people you're going to appoint to the role of elder pastor or overseer and those places are 1 Timothy chapter 3 describes it and Titus chapter 1 and Shamika does a great job of pointing out there's a lot of people who will not be qualified if we stick with what scripture says and, and what happens and, and what Bobby did very well with the definitions
3: that's biblical definition, that's spiritual language. As we transition into colloquial language, everyday talk to the lay person here in that term, elder, to them an elder is just an older person. So if we have an older person who's in the church, a respected gentleman, well hey, he's an elder in the church. But biblically that term means something different than we use it in our colloquial language.
0: And so I would be someone that until today, June 16th, I would have thought Mm -hmm. elder, was oh, Mm -hmm. literally I would have, and I hate to say this, but I'm just being honest. My mother's 83 and been at our church. I grew up in 25th Street Baptist Church for 60, 70 years. I would have called her an elder. Mm -hmm. I, I
4: would have thought of her as an elder in the church and I would be inaccurate. According to the Bible. Right. I have to tell you something that's funny. So I'm flying up to Canada to see my father for Father's Day. Yeah. And my father became a follower of Jesus later in life. And uh, we were in church one day talking about it. And he said, he, he, he came home and he said, Bobby, it'd be, it's harder to become an elder than the Prime Minister of Canada <laughs> because of the qualities the Bible describes. Yeah.
0: And so one of the things I think I heard you say is like they need to be married, correct? Correct. And so I could never be, uh, currently, I could not be an elder in a church.
4: But that doesn't mean you can't serve in all kinds of ways. Well,
0: again, you once said, just as a Christian, it's my responsibility to be a minister. Sure. And to to create a ministry. And that's literally, again, some things I just do instinctively. But I do think of this show as my ministry. No different than how Tony Dungy in coaching football Mm -hmm. thought this was a great opportunity to to create my ministry. That's right. Uh, as an expression of that. So what do you guys think? And I'll start with Anthony here. The controversy they got going on with Rick Warren's church. What should the Southern Baptist Convention do?
3: So the the issue with what Rick Warren did, you know, I, I like his, his writing on a lot of things. He's usually more tactful. What it appears that he's trying to do or they whoever the deciding body is, they're trying to appeal to the egalitarian nature of our culture. Okay, well, we want everybody to kind of feel. And so he's taken the term pastor not to mean biblically pastors as overseers or bishop. He's taken the term pastor to simply mean ministry leader. So given that loose use of that definition, uh, Pastor Jason Whitlock could be there. Now you say, well, wait, uh, is is he? You know, husband of a wife. Does he have his house in order? Does he meet the qualifications? Well, no, but he's a ministry leader. So given that loose definition, that's why they're labeling these women as pastors. If you looked at what they actually did, they're just leading a ministry. But given that term, It's creating so much confusion, especially through uh, the SBC. So that's why they're wanting to say, "Okay, wait a minute. We've been teaching for years that pastors are men, basically, but especially those who are husbands of a wife, et cetera, meeting these biblical qualifications. But now if we're going to and Rick, you're one of the largest mega churches out there. If we're going to use this loose definition to say, well, pastor could be just basically anybody that leads a ministry. We can't affiliate with that.
0: But you're so it seems like a cut and dry situation. And it seems like like everything else uh, that's going Everybody's just bending to the culture and not bending to the Bible.
4: Yeah. Hey, uh, I, I would like to say a few things about Rick Warren, whom, by the way, I've, uh, Rick and I have been together with church planting things over the years. Rick Warren is a really fine man. Let me let me just say that like uh, one of the best ways to think of Rick Warren is he's, uh, as Mother Teresa is to Roman Catholics, Rick Warren has been to Southern Baptists. He has been so helpful and such a wise person. I mean, this is the guy who moderated the debate between Barack Obama and John McCain in 2008. So uber-respected person. But two well, things let,
0: that, let me stop you there. Yeah. He moderated a debate between two politicians. Correct. I, I would, that's where my problem would have started with him. Continue. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh,
4: by the way, I, I, the second thing I want to pause and he say. Should, you know what? He should have performed an exorcism <laughs> on both of us <laughs> as politicians, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I want to refer to, we have an article on Renew.org that dives into all this stuff in great detail and it's uh, the bible on gender. Bobby, I got to be honest with you. I'm st- I'm sitting here. This
0: man moderated a debate between two presidential candidates. That's everything that I despise about we're moving po- he, he he just put up a big sign that says the church should go to politics. I'm actually moderate. I'm I'm disattached to the Southern Baptist Convention, a very influential organization in the
4: religious community. And he's moderating the debate between so, the two presidents. So, he's brought politics right into the... Now, uh, I, I'm, I would like to disagree with you about that. I think that uh, it is the duty of the citizens of the kingdom of God, who are also citizens of the United States. I believe it is our duty to vote. And I think that to, when we vote... vote! Yeah. He's moderating the debate. Me, let, me fin- let me finish. <laughs> the let, man let- should go and pray for those people and minister
0: he to has. those people. He prayed yeah. at the inauguration. But, but of- now he's in the middle of the debate. Okay, You've got me He's defending. taken on the role of Walter Cronkite. <laughs> <laughs> he's just jumped
4: both feet into politics. He should be going and trying to deliver <laughs> these people. And- Jason, let me ask you a question. Yeah. When you interviewed Donald Trump, were you getting involved in politics in a, in a way that was... Absolutely.
0: As a journalist, I'm not a pastor. I'm not that connected but, to the uh, uh, Southern so Baptist a, Convention. So, so now,
4: now you're saying you don't I'm not have, held to the you, same standards you, as a now, pastor. Now you don't have... Well, that's not true. In, in, in your ministry, you're responsible to God in your ministry, just like we're responsible to God in our ministries. There's not a difference. Let me Let me make the point about Rick Warren. I think that Rick Warren hosting that debate was a God honoring thing because he was trying to bring to light principles from scripture that would help people to to vote.
0: Now I'm going to have to go watch this because again, you know, it'll
4: be on YouTube back 2008. Okay. uh, Now you got me off track here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's 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 uh, I'm gonna let you regroup for a second because I need to regroup Shamika, Do you have any thoughts on Rick Warren? the politician masquerading as a pastor?
2: I would say that Rick Warren is actually riding the fence. Um, So, you know, for me, either you're hot or cold. And if you're going to take the Bible for what it says, you have to do things decent and in order to put women and call them pastors would not be decent and in order according to the Bible. So you're either going to live by the Bible or you're not. You're either going to be in or you're going to be out. You're going to be hot or cold. You can't be both and you can't be trying to appease people. You have to be trying to please God. And if God's word says, That pastors, if we're going to use them synonymously with elders, are supposed to be men then there should be no question that these women cannot be pastors. And for me, I get sick of people, number one, being more caught up on the title than caught up on the work to start with. It bothers me that we have to refer to people as pastor so-and-so or bishop so-and-so. To me, we do that in the world when we call somebody doctor, whatever. Even Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, referred to himself as Paul a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to putting these titles in front of people's names, I think this is what we have done as men, not necessarily what was required in the Bible. And so for me, I think these women should be more Concentrated on the actual work than the title itself. And I think God was clear in what women are supposed to do. Number one, we're supposed to learn in silence, we're not supposed to be over a man. And also, we're supposed to teach the younger women. One of the things, or some of the things we're supposed to teach the younger women to do is to love their husbands, love their children and how to keep a house. So I think if we focus on those things as as women, we wouldn't be caught up in the argument of, of whether or not our title could be pastor, do the work. That's what you're supposed to be focused on is the actual work. And I understand that people have to be put in certain offices and you have to know who's the elder or whatever, but do the work. That's what it what we should be doing. And if it's causing division, take away the title. You shouldn't care that you have to be called pastor if what you're doing is the work. Hmm.
0: I would imagine, you know, if I make this comment a little sidetrackers again, I, I, but I would imagine, no, you, you guys can answer. This. I would imagine that mega churches like Saddleback, those titles probably come with salaries. That and so there's probably some financial incentive to wanting that title. Am I accurate?
3: I, go ahead. I, I'm not sure the. I'm not sure the shift. I really want to know why they are making the shift to loosely define that term.
0: Couldn't it be money? I, well, it,
3: it could be, but but it, I, I'm thinking from from a money standpoint, that's that's minimal for something as major as this. I mean, them making that shift. Get, gets the attention nationally. Even people who aren't even paying attention, wait, wait what? This church, I know about them, and, and we know about Saddleback because of Rick. Um, but I'm more interested as to why that shift. I remember a time in churches where even the word minister had kind of a different connotation, because usually when we colloquially see a minister, We would see a man in that position. So when a church would put on their website or their documentation, uh, here's Sister such and such, and she's the children's minister. Some churches, even at that time, well, wait a minute, hold. But when we look back biblically at the definition of the term minister, okay, that's fine. So I'm saying, I got that, but I remember when even that was controversial. But to go to pastor, There's a reason and I tend to believe I'd love to do more research on it, but I tend to believe it's motivated by the shift in the culture as it relates to Rick. And I don't know how this goes, you know, with your angle on the discussion where I try to land as a minister, as it relates to politics, biblically, the example that we have is a minister is a representation as a mouthpiece of God. Okay, we're a herald. We're those to proclaim the words of God. I need to be at a distance to where I can, no matter who's in office, no matter who's running for what, I can proclaim to you God's word. That's whoever it is. If I get too close with Trump and Trump folk, even though they may agree with me biblically, they may agree with where I stand on these things. I still need to be at a distance where I can say hey but hold on we're we're not doing this right same was with you know if if you're close with this Democratic candidate or whomever yeah okay I I may be able to give you biblical advice etc but at the same time I need to be able to say, hold on but we can't be doing this and we can't be doing that so that's where you know biblically we stand as it relates to a politic I don't want to align myself hey I'm with this or I'm with that because now I'm answering to this camp versus answering to the word of God.
4: So here's how I understand what Rick Warren's doing. And I have talked to some of his staff about this. So there is tremendous pressure right now everywhere in our culture, not to be a misogynist, not to be somebody who hates, not to be a man, but not to to be the, the patriarchy. Uh, imagine what the pressure's like in Southern California right now. So Saddleback is a huge influential church in Southern California. So about a year ago, uh, they announced that they were appointing three women to be pastors. Mm. They weren't going to be teaching. They were just going to call them pastors. And Rick knew he was retiring. So he's trying to get it in at the church before he's retiring. And he's trying to influence other Southern Baptist churches. Then here's what took it to the next level. Uh, When he announced his succession, he announced that this couple would take over and she would not just be a pastor, she would be a teaching pastor who would preach regularly in the church. So when the Southern Baptists met, this is a clear violation of the faith statement uh, of the, the Baptist faith and mission. It's a clear violation of it. But I believe it was yesterday, Rick stood up on the floor and asked them to not focus on secondary issues, but instead to focus on other things. And so they delayed the decision. And I think they delayed the decision because who wants to go public disagreeing right now with the Mother Teresa of the Southern Baptists in many ways, which is Rick Warren. Now, Jason, if you ask me, what does the Bible say about this? That sounds like a pope.
0: Well, that I'm sounds like the, 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 the Southern Baptist Convention has a pope, Rick Warren, who's no. out moderating political debates, and now they're making decisions based on his ego and all of that. That sounds like a pope. Yeah, and and, and I don't want to offend any Catholics or whatever, but Baptist, I now, grew now, up in
4: a Baptist church. We don't have popes. Yeah. Now, Southern Baptists have a president of the conference. Uh, right now, it's Ed Litton, who's a great guy, and they're vo- voting a new one. Uh, Rick's Rick's influence was surely uh, the influence of a popular guy now again I just want to come back and say hey this is not biblical what he's doing is not biblical Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we want to call it out again I I want to encourage your listeners to go to renew.org we'll have some stuff up there for you to look at and do a deep dive on this but it's not biblical it's tragic and it's a sign of Christians capitulating to the pressure of the culture
0: yeah. and 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 I got a clip here I want to play to, to one this is some minister I'm not sure what city but again it, he's on a stage with three or four other ministers and 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 this you know we're so worried about uh being called misogynist or sexist that we don't even push back against uh this toxic femininity that that's pervasive throughout our culture and tearing down all the biblical standards that God prescribed and based on this conversation what you guys have defined for me the role of males it's all under attack and and, and we don't want we're oh we got to dance around it because we don't want to sound uh, misogynist or whatever I I and again I'm Far from perfect. I'm very flawed. But I just, I just want to sound biblical. And if that offends somebody, I don't care. But listen, these, this is a minister talking, big stage, bunch of other people. This is where we're at, and this is how uh, Rick Warren lands in the spot. And I get all, I lived out in Southern California. I understand all the pressure he's under. And, you know, if, if I could survive it, surely a pastor, uh, some ordained, could survive it. But hey, listen to this guy.
2: Christian men must listen; they must sit at the feet of Christian women, because when they read the Bible and when they and when, when the Lord speaks to them, they're going to see some things that we as men will not see. Amen. It, it's, it's significant that the, that the first Bible teacher that Jesus had was his mother. Mm-hmm. That's significant, right? I mean, we don't hear much about Joseph's mm-hmm. Bible teachings to, to, to Jesus, right? But, um, but, but the Magnificat, right? Mary's song that she sang in praise to God, the themes of the Magnificat is coming all out in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. And you say, where did he get that? What well, Jesus got that from his mother, mm-hmm. right? Who the Father used to
4: speak mm-hmm. to the Son, okay? So that's, that's teaching us something. Mm-hmm.
0: So to me, and maybe I misheard it, and you guys can all help me, but the guys are men, Christian men must sit at the feet of Christian women. And, and the inference there to me is consistent with this whole matriarchal culture that we're pushing in all aspects of American life. And, and, and it, it, there's just this consistent message, you're not good enough as a man, you need to be replaced, and you need to fall into obedience to women, not the Bible, not Jesus, not God. And it's it, it, and maybe I'm just hearing it all wrong. And maybe and I'd say that sincerely. Uh, so correct me, Bob, Anthony and then Shamika. What, what did you hear from that? Yeah,
4: that was at the Q conference, correct? Uh, I'm not, it, it's a conference held here locally. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> there are Christians that that was tr- in Nashville. Yeah. Christians that try to engage culture. Uh, They're good people. Gabe Lyons, his wife, Rebecca, they're good people. But I think what you see in that clip, and we only have a snippet, you're just showing us a snippet, but we see a common theme right now. Again, there's so much pressure in our culture that if you follow what the Bible says, you look like a dinosaur. You look like you're a Neanderthal. You look like you don't get it. You're not enlightened. And, uh, you know, you should be canceled. That's what's happening. And so Christians all across the nation are trying to redefine terms. They're trying to find their way to get away from what the Bible says. And it's tragic because of what you and I have talked about. It's not just that the Bible says it, but the Bible says it for a reason. The best thing for the family, the best thing for the church is godly men leading, serving their wives, serving their kids, taking responsibility being there for their families, being who God called them to be. And in the church, leading people in godliness and teaching and righteousness. And what's happening right now is the voices of people calling out godly manhood are being canceled. And it's tragic. And our sons and grandsons are paying the price.
3: Yeah, I, the first thing I got, number one, is a snippet, like he said. So I, I want to give a little bit of grace to understand the full con- context of the entire conversation. But given the snippet I heard, my first reaction is some of that, he's making some theological leaps. Uh, to, to speak that, okay, what parents do at home to use as a model for how to run the church is, is not a direct jump. Uh, there's a place for mom and dad at home to raise their kids. But as it relates to how God wants the church to be led and, and, and run throughout history, Men have always been at the forefront. Now, at the same time, you know, there are there have been times where are there misogynists? Sure, there are. We're not defending misogyny, but we are defending God's male leadership. So I don't want those two things to be. Well, if that means I got to be a misogynist. No, we can be a godly man with godly principles. Jesus was not a misogynist. So let's do that. But let's not at the same time while not trying to be a misogynist, jump over to be a feminist. And that's where culture is landing that, hey, now we got to jump all the way over to, hey, men, y'all sit back, take a seat, let's sit under women. And, and that, no, that's not biblically taught at all.
0: And so, Shemeika, before you jump in, I'm I, speculating, but this is why I have you guys here. Like, misogyny, is it in the Bible? Yes. The, the word misogyny? No.
4: The concept is. Mm-hmm.
0: And explain to me how. And to, because, again, this is how I think like
4: they frame all okay, the discussions. So let me, let me uh, in Genesis chapter 3, when God gives the curses. I just read that this weekend. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. In Genesis yeah. chapter 3, when God gives the curses to humankind, uh, he has distinct cursives, curses for men and women. In Genesis 3, 16, it says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, what that's saying is that her desire is going to be to manage her husband so that he would be what she needs him to be and wants him to be. She's going to try to manage her husband, but he in his flesh guided by Satan is going to harshly rule over her. So what the Bible is describing is, it actually, in Genesis, you have the two dangers for manhood. The one is the top-down tyrant, the misogynist, and the other is the way Adam was in the garden where he was passively with Eve. So the two temptations of men who don't know Jesus in the way of godly, uh, Christ-like manhood are to be domineering, misogynistic. And oppressive. It's a natural tendency in men that needs to be challenged, or they're going to be passive and hold back and become, uh, you know, incapable of decisions and being who God wants them to be. Between those two is is a, a man that we've defined it before on the show. Uh, how he's a real man. He rejects passivity. He expects God's reward as he accepts responsibility. And leads courageously that's the Christ like man
0: uh Shamika your thoughts on the clip and th- this this part of the conversation
2: my thoughts on the clip is just error nowhere in the Bible do I see that uh, um man has to sit at his wife's feet. Now, I do understand that you had people in the Bible like Deborah, who was a prophet, who also served as a judge. So I think that women can actually hear from God. I do believe that women can give uh, wise counsel. So I do think that their opinion can be included in things. But to actually say, or to go as far as to say, a man should sit at his wife's feet, to me, that suggests some type of hierarchy, and I, I think that's errors. Nowhere in the Bible, and I don't even know why you would make that jump or that leap to go that far.
0: So, am I right or wrong? Doesn't God directly say the man is responsible to teach to and disciple his child in the word, in the gospel? Yes. Is that not?
4: Yes, and yes. S- Ephesians chapter six.
0: And so that was my other problem with, you know, sit at the feet. And then he connects that to a story of, well, Mary taught Jesus. And, and I'm like, whoa, that's not my understanding of, of the so, cycle and the way God wants. So to-
3: so as a, as a person, you know, I, I'm looking at Paul and Timothy and I look some, kind of way of my life. Uh, Timothy, his mom was very influential in his life and his grandmother. My situation, my father dies. My mom is there. My grandmother primarily raised me. But they both understood what God has done for both of us. They're a woman. I will become at the time I'm a boy, but I will become a man. And it takes a man to confirm manhood, not a woman. So will they give me some wisdom and will they teach me some things? Sure. But that's only going to take me to a point to where now you need a man to teach you these things. So they put me around godly men, my uh, father in the gospel, so to speak. You got to uh, meet and have dinner with uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, and then later on, my mom remarries. I have another man. This teaches me to become a man. And, and same book that Bobby quoted about Paul uh, telling Titus, uh, Paul tells Titus in chapter two, I need you to teach the men how to be good men so that they can teach the younger men. I need you to teach the women so that they can teach the young. The older women can teach the younger women so that we understand this. That's Paul is giving this kind of advice to, to Titus as well. So um, this idea that he's giving out that, you know, oh, he said it, you know, his mom's feet. That doesn't translate into church leadership. Uh, It it tells a neat story, makes a good point, but that does not translate.
4: Every man who's a leader in his home or in the church better make sure he's getting the input and uh, listening to women as he leads. There's not a conflict between good input, good teaching from women. My wife gives me great advice. My mother uh, helped teach me as as a young boy many things. She still does today. And in our church, we want to hear the voices of women on things but that is not the same as having leadership responsibility, which God says in the home and in the church is for qualified men.
0: Shamika, I'll give you a final thought, anything we didn't cover that maybe you wanted to sneak in? Uh,
2: I don't think I have a final thought, Jason. I do, um, I guess I would have a question for them. why do we get so caught up in titles? And why do we necessarily make people put them in front of the name. And I say that because when I was in ministry, it was always a pet peeve of mine. I didn't like to be called Minister Shamika. I would always tell people to call me Shamika. And that was an issue for the pastors in the church because they felt like I should be referred to with the title in front of my name. And it just always bothered me. And I wanna know how we got there why and why we um, have that as such an important part of of church or Christianity?
3: Good question. Good question. I'm I'm in some ways similar. I, I don't make anybody call me anything. Um, I that's just how I was raised in the church. I, I was more concerned about doing what God wanted me to be. Being what God wanted me to be, even to the point of, uh, in some churches, you know, you hear people say, uh, Brother Harrington or Brother Bobby or Brother. Brother signifies our relationship. You know, you don't call your brother or sister, hey, brother, you just say, you know, that's just who we are. But if that relationship is not there, obviously that would cause some strain. Sometimes where that comes into the church is what she just described. We've taken relationship or we've taken
4: function as a title. And that's just, that's just how I function. I I think Shamika, by the way, I love everything you've been saying today. So wish you were here. Uh, I think she makes a great point. Even Jesus said, uh, don't call anybody father in Matthew 23, Mm -hmm. Uh, instead your brothers and sisters. And so there is a real sense in which what Shamika is describing is really true, that at the foot of the cross, it's, it's all level ground. And we're all brothers and sisters to one another in Christ, and I think we should stay away from titles. Yeah, mm. I, I, I don't
0: have anything profound to add to that. I, I don't, you know, but just personally, taking the religious aspect, I don't like deference. Okay. I, personally, I, I don't like people to be deferential to me. Even young people, old people, whatever. I, 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 I like being called Jason, and. I, even like with people, yes, sir, or no, sir, me or whatever. And maybe it's because I'm weird about getting older or whatever. But I just I just don't topic, like difference.
4: topic for another day, I think. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm wrong about that. I'm not saying you're wrong. Uh, I, I think that the Bible teaches respect for authority. Yeah. And I think it's a healthy part of a culture to have respect for authority. So I would advocate, you know, teaching respect for authority without getting caught up in titles and, you know, special references to people. But I still think uh, respect for teaching children respect. You can
0: have respect without being deferential.
3: There's a nuance, is is what he said. There's a nuance between a culture that teaches respect and the way our culture does it, once a person reaches a certain, if you have certain alphabet behind your name, oh, now we we have to, no matter what. Whereas if you teach respect, it doesn't matter what they have before or after we just teach that. So there will be some people that before they even get into the room, they're going to know, oh, there's Jason Whitlock, you know, it's Mr. Whitlock. And in their mind, because of what you've accomplished, what you've done, et cetera, they're coming at it from a place of respect. My issue is, and I think what Shamika was talking about, is there's a point where people demand, because I have the title, you must have this kind yeah. of respect. And that's the that's the hair which I've to had spirit. people
4: correct me before no, no it's reverend dr so and so i'm like, okay <laughs> 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 all right, well
0: uh it's Wednesday. you guys have heard the harmony song, Did't I play it? yeah, we put together uh a little uh, video collage or photo collage to go along. We'll update it a little bit more and include Bobby and Anthony in that, but uh, uh, that's it and that's all for us. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow.
2: Tell us Cause together we're so much